Hello, my self-improving friend. It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Get ready because it's time for a self-improvement sit-down. Instead of the usual two-minute episodes I share every weekday on the podcast, in our self-improvement sit-downs, I talk with industry experts and get to the bottom of really difficult topics so that we can better understand them and use them in our lives. If you like the short tips, then fear not, I'll have a new one again tomorrow. But for today, let's sink into this challenging conversation about diversity, biases, communication, and moving our world forward. This is Self-Improvement Sit-Down number 46 with Jimmy Vaughn. And we are live. I'm sorry to do this to all of you today, but we are talking to HR. Today's guest is Jimmy Vaughn. Jimmy is an expert in diversity and workplace ethics and has worked for more than a decade with top global brands to implement more equitable inclusion strategies. You'll notice pretty quickly that this conversation won't be painful like your typical HR program because Jimmy has a really sensitive way of helping people communicate about difficult topics and leaves conversations with more empathy, understanding, and most importantly, outcomes. I just set the bar pretty high for this chat, but nonetheless, Jimmy, let's dive into it. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> cool. I would love to start by just setting a general framework, um, kind of, especially in light of 2020 and the heightened racial tensions that we have and just polarity that we're experiencing in general. You know it well yourself because you grew up in Ferguson, Missouri. We're in a world with a lot of conflict and unfortunately it's not being handled as productively as it should be. So just first to kind of get us started, would you tell us a little bit about where we're at right now when it comes to kind of these race relation, diversity and equity issues in general versus where it should be or where we're working toward being? That's a really great question. So where I think we are and, and, and I think, you know, kind of from day to day, it might shift a little bit the way that the way that we view what's going on. But I think, you know, oftentimes with most, you know, problem solving processes, things tend to get a little bit worse before they get better. Right. And I think that what we're starting to see or what we've started to see, you know, like over the last, you know, a couple of years is a lot of the things that we were comfortable in being removed from, you know, from the overall discussion, from the overall conversation. Because a lot of, of, especially when we talk about, you know, like race and we talk about, you know, really difficult conversations and uncomfortable conversations, we, we really look for every opportunity to kind of like avoid them. We look for every opportunity to kind of be like, I don't know if that's the, you know, like if, if, if that's really important for us to really have to talk about right now, oh, maybe you're overthinking it or maybe you're not, you know, and I think a lot of the events over the past couple of years that have, you know, kind of like Shauna have, have removed our ability to stay a little bit comfortable. And so I get a lot of people sometimes, you know, like saying, you know, like, oh, I don't know that it's ever been this bad. I'm like, actually, it kind of was always there. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, and I can think of quite a few times in history where, you know, where, where we've seen it. Um, but the, the, you know, like the reality is, it's just like, we can't keep taking or trying to take a shortcut to things being fine, right? Doing this is part of the process. Going through some of the, like the challenging discussions 
That's part of the process. We tend to go you know, into a thing and have to find equilibrium. Sometimes you hypercorrect and it swings you know, like all the way to the left or, and then on the other end of that, it swings back all the way to the right until we start to get into that, that balanced you know, like middle stage where you know, we can engage in really honest um, conversation and we also have the tools to be able to engage in some of those discussions. And I think right now we're in a space, and maybe this is a little bit idealistic and optimistic of me, but I feel like we're in that, in that space where we're starting to obtain the tools to be able to engage in this discussion. And it is uncomfortable because it's stretching us, right? It's stretching us in ways that we're not used to being stretched. We're being held accountable in ways that we're not used to being held, you know, like uh, accountable. We're having to confront things that, you know, it's previously much easier to look the other way on. So I think, you know, that's a little bit of, 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 of where we are because while it can seem a bit dire, um, I'm actually seeing a, a, a greater willingness to embrace the nuance of the situation, the nuance of the conversations, you know, like that, that we need to be having right now. There's more people that seem like they're willing to be brave and be, you know, uh, you know, putting some risk and having some skin in the game, you know, like of uh, this discussion where previously it kind of felt like, you know, maybe that's just an issue for this group over here. Or maybe that's something that, and it doesn't include me. And I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that interconnectivity, like as well of how it impacts like us all. Yeah. So that is the way that I'm looking at it right now. And that, you know, and I, I think I've seen a lot of benefit from, you know, from having that outlook um, and, you know, engaging kind of like in that way. And I guess there was a second part of your question where it was, you know, where should we be? Um, I mean, the hope is always going to be for our baseline to you know, consideration of varied identities, mm -hmm. right? So that we look and we consider that not everyone's norm is our norm. Not everyone's, you know, experience is the same as, you know, same as mine. And the way that I engage with the world around me is in a way that has, you know, consideration for varied experiences and varied identities. So I think, you know, it is a, it is a, Kind of a slow moving process which you know uh when you're talking about working with human nature and impulse and all of those types of things and you know some of our, our biological desires for like uh consistency sameness you know all of those types of things we got to do the work to learn the skill hmm. you know, to kind of in, um you know, to get us on the other side of that but i see it as as you know us moving toward that right now yeah, you really address it at a root level, which is kind of the human, you know, how does this come about because of people and their human nature, you know, you're talking about discomfort, that's something that I talk a lot about and kind of how discomfort is a vehicle for change. And, and right now, you know, as we have these conversations, they are very uncomfortable just by the nature of it and kind of the inherent biases and identities and beliefs that are built into how people approach these conversations. But ultimately, what can happen is if people start having these conversations, they start exploring that discomfort, their capacity to uh, entertain them or actually be proactive in them uh, starts to grow. And that's kind of where it is more of an incremental growth versus, a, oh, it's going to change overnight. You know, there's nothing that you said that I heard, which is, oh, tomorrow's going to be fixed. Tomorrow yeah. can be, you know, better, a little bit better, but it's not going to be fixed. And I think, I think that's kind of, you're right. There is this kind of shift where people are buying into that philosophy a little bit more. You know, people are taking more responsibility for their role, whether it directly affects them or not. And that's something that I definitely um, have had some 
growing pains through. And I've had, you know, challenging conversations that I've put myself into because I do want to be more of a, you know, participant in the conversation, but to, to kind of qualify a lot of that, you know, because unfortunately we are at a place where it's uncomfortable. And, you know, as I mentioned, it comes from, and you mentioned it comes from our identities and kind of the, the backgrounds that we kind of hold the, the ways, the ways that we were raised and the things that we have been told to believe. What are those, the, the roots of those biases? Like, where does that usually come from? And, if we are working on kind of more of a sustainable future, like what are some of the practical things that you can do to start testing those biases or to be, you know, more of a participant um, in that discovery process of more of an equitable future? So, yeah, there's a couple of things because they, it can come from a variety of places, right? And there's so many types of biases that, you know, like that we have, some of those are, are explicit and, and others are implicit. The explicit, you know, like biases are the ones that we're consciously aware of that, you know, that it might be that you like, even stuff like, oh, we come from the same city, like, oh yeah. Or that, you know, we share the same uh, like favorite football team or something you like along those lines. And we create little groups there or like, yeah, you know, we graduated from the same alma mater, <laughs> you know? So we, we might have, you know, those types of things, but it is about, you know, those types of, of kind of cultural groups that we, you know, kind of build over like over time or by affiliation and those types of things. But then there's a ton of others that are, you know, that are implicit, the ones that we, you know, really aren't aware of that that tend to show up, you know, in a variety of different ways. And everybody has bias, all of us, right? And we all have it in a variety of different ways. It's actually part of like kind of human nature is uh, we, we, we have biases and we have categories in our minds, like because we create categories in order to create shortcuts to understanding or shortcuts to meaning. Because it's like, you can't process something the first time every time, you know, that you see it. It's like, can you imagine if you had to process what a door was every time you saw a door? No you would never get anywhere. You'd be stuck in a room trying to process like that this helps you get to the other side or this is a passage way of getting through something. But not every door is the same, right? You've got uh, you know rotating doors, you've got sliding doors, you've got barn doors. And if you treat that door the exact same way, you're also not gonna get anywhere, right? And so when we make these categorizations, you know, it's not the, the categorization that's actually the problem. It's having too few of the categories. It's not allowing for variance and nuance in within that same category so that your brain tends to make it a singular kind of entity or a singular story that everything, you know, like that makes everything, all the nuance that's in it, all the variance that's in it, all the diversity that's in it. You make the assumption that, you know, they're all treated the same way, that they all focus or function, you know, kind of like in the same way. So that's a really important thing to kind of, you know, uh, grasp about it. But where we come from, like region, what languages we speak, you know, the, that shapes the way that we think and how we approach uh, things, our, you know, religious background, our upbringing, you know, whether or not we had a religious background or not, coming from a, a two-parent home, a single-parent home, a ver all of the things that shape, you know, kind of who we are and uh, how we interact in the world, how we view the, you know, like the world around us has a way of, you know, creating a norm, creating a, a, a status quo for ourselves, right? And so 
our issues come into play when we start to make the assumption that others are operating the same way. Mm. So when we impact others, you know, uh, like, especially if you talk about like in the workplace or things like that, and you make the status quo, you know, your norm, you end up making the assumption that it's the same for someone else. And a lot of times you qualify it based on how well others fit into that, which is not, you know, like always a fair assessment. So in this, we're trying to, you know, make sure that we're building the tools to understand how to identify those biases in ourselves um, and how to, you know, kind of like address them and, and expand them. And one of the most significant ways of doing that is, is one, you got to kind of give yourself a break and, and not think that um, every bit of bias is root, rooted in evil. Mm-hmm. Right, is a lot of times we have to kind of like devilify the conversation because uh, sometimes when I jump into a, a discussion about like racism and people start talking about like it's this and it's this and this, like, or I can't, I'm not racist, and now you know, I'm just like, whoa, first off, didn't say you were. Uh, <laughs> like, second off, um, what do you think racism is? How do you define it? Right, because a lot of times we haven't actually we end up engaged in conversations that we don't know that we're in. Right. Because everybody has a perception of we use the same terms, but we may not have the same meaning of of what that term actually means. You know, for some people, racism could be, you know, like the extremes that we you know know of, you know, uh, like violence and, and you know, pejoratives and all of that, um, you know, and, and worse. And then you've got, you know, others who just, you know, consider that it's uh, race based prejudice. And then you might have others that are like, no, it's race-based prejudice plus power. Because, you know, the, the concept is one has to be in a position of power in order to, uh, you know, impact another group based off of their race-based prejudice. And so sometimes we all use the same term of racism when we mean those three different things and don't realize we're even in the same conversation. So we're building those kinds of, you know, uh, tools to be able to engage in the right, uh, like in the right discussion. And then once you're able to kind of devilify your situation or the understanding that like not all bias is based, you know, in hatred. Sometimes it's just a desire to preserve one's norm. Sometimes it's a, a, a fear of change. Uh, sometimes it's more just kind of like, oh, I was just unaware, right? I just didn't even realize that I was engaging, you know, in a way that wasn't considering somebody else because my own frame of reference is limited. Mm-hmm. We didn't even know that there was another option. We didn't know that there was another way. And so frame of reference in this whole thing is so huge because our increased frame of reference increases our capacity for empathy. It increases our ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. That is why storytelling and representation, when you hear the term like representation matters, you know, and all of that, it's based in that. We as humans are built for storytelling to tell us how we fit into the world. We, you know, like from our hunter-gatherer days, you know, sitting around a fire, like, and it's funny enough that TVs kind of reflect that. We're in the living room, sitting around a glowing light, telling, you know, where stories are being told to us that kind of help us you know, like the world, most of us haven't traveled the world. Mm-hmm. Most of us understand the world based off of what we've seen through storytelling, whether that be through a book, through, you know, uh, movies, through television, through a, like any form of media. 
that's where we, we, you know, like we tend to get it. And so that's where, you know, a lot of times our frame of reference, so I always encourage people to like, try to expand your frame of reference so that you can build your capacity for empathy. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a really articulate thread that kind of connects all the thoughts you just touched on, right? Because if it comes back to storytelling, then what are the stories that you're hearing? You know, and that shapes your frame of reference. And then when you have your frame of reference, that dictates what categories you start to operate within, right? And when you were speaking on that, it reminded me of assimilation during childhood development. You know, Mm -hmm. like there is an animal and a kid's trying to figure out, is that a dog or a cat? And sometimes they mislabel it. And I feel like we do that in a kind of a different spectrum based on some of these different topics we encounter, you know, naturally throughout our days, you know, which is, which is pretty wild that, you know, there, I guess the, the development process then is an evolution. It's not something that's fixed, right? You're continuing to grow upon the different ways that you're assimilating uh, the different stimuli, basically, as it relates to the kind of psychology, psychological experiments of that. Yeah, 100%. And then, and then what's cool too, is how that kind of ends up informing your biases, you know, kind of the first part of what you were just responding to. That was a kind of the light bulb moment for me is not all biases are bad, you know, like biases are just an evolutionary knee jerk reaction to, Hey, things are a certain way. This is going to keep me alive. You know, like you see a snake, you get bit one time. Now you have a bias, like, Hey, snakes are bad. Like that thing's going to hurt me. You know? So it's like, instead of us always vilifying what these biases are, let's understand why they exist and how it's affecting other people. Instead of just calling them and labeling them bad, you know, outright, um, you know, we can talk about how more productively we can address or kind of navigate through the bias that we're experiencing because there are some good elements of it from an evolutionary standpoint or for whatever purpose might be serving. And then there are some unfortunate consequences, you know? So I love how that's kind of the, the larger scope of the conversation, but it, it, it makes me wonder then kind of, is there a line in the sand or is there a trade-off between some of those biases? You know, you talked about like, Hey, I went to the same high school as someone like that is a bias. And you're more likely to, you know, work with that person or appreciate or respect or take time to spend with that person just because of like the similarity bias that you mentioned, mm-hmm. which is important because of like a, a group mindset of, Hey, we're all better together. Right. So that's kind of the nature of that. But then you talk about maybe in the workplace, there's nepotism, you know, so there are these biases that end up having consequences that are unfair on other people. So when it comes to, and kind of a larger part of this conversation too, is just communication, you know? So it's like, how do we transcend all this information through what's in my mind, then becoming injected and actually having a representation in your mind, you know? So when it comes to these biases and the way that we can start speaking about um, the different biases that we're having um, in an effective way, you know, like what are some either like tonality choices or some of the ways that we can sensitively introduce these conversations so that people aren't threatened by, Hey, this is my category. This is how I see things. And they can kind of expand that frame of reference so that now they're more willing to consider other people's point of views. I think the, if I were to, you know, the top of mind thing is, is, you know, being engaged in these conversations like proactively, Okay. right. It is not waiting until there's an issue. Right. Because at that moment, it, it, you automatically feel a little bit more defensive. Right. And then it's also not excluding anybody from the discussion, you know, like, or the conversation in general. It's like this, this, this is a conversation that merits, you know, having everyone involved. It's because we do have assumptions about, you know, different types of categories that we, you know, might belong to. And all of us, you know, typically belong to at least, at least one. Some of us belong to many more. <laughs> Some of us belong to those that, you know, might have more significant impacts, you know, um, like in our current environment. 
but but we all have some kind of a, a an element of our identity where you know where it's not been part of the the dominant at least most right in in some way shape or form so usually we can identify with it in, in you know in some way and again that's another one of those like bits of a frame of reference that when people can start to kind of like understand more about their identity and some of the other elements that um you know that people you know might be not fully able to express of themselves without it being, you know, like uh, an, uh, feeling an element of kind of emotional, psychological, or even in, in other cases, like physical safety, hmm. um, that it, it helps kind of broaden that, you know, like that discussion. An exercise that I actually do uh, in a couple of like courses is an exercise where we actually talk about like a variety of different elements of like that we call categories, but they're all elements of your identity. And it could literally be like a nationality. It could be, you know, age, uh, sex, your, your gender identity, sexual orientation, those types of things. So I ask those questions or give those categories. I ask, you know, individuals to kind of describe it for themselves, like where, what, how that relates to them. And then, you know, giving a, a rating from one to 10, asking how important is this to you, right? One being not important and 10 being very important. And then um, for rating again, one to 10, how um, physically or how like emotionally and psychologically safe do you feel that you're able to express this that you know like at work because this is typically in a work environment and then uh the other one is how physically safe are you to express this element at work and usually by the end of that there's one a lot of times people start to learn a lot about themselves mm -hmm. because they didn't realize that it was like oh i didn't i didn't realize that i didn't like wasn't so comfortable asking that thing about you know or, or talking or expressing that element of myself you know in this space and then you're also kind of like, when you look through that list, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't know that other people would possibly not feel comfortable or safe, you know? So it, in a way, kind of like opens up the conversation in, you know, in a, in a broader way so that it is not just the preconceived notions that we have about, like, about this. And it's trying to find that connectivity, um, you know, around it so that you're better equipped to, to be inside that, you know, like in that discussion to be present in the discussion and not be, you know, coming from a place of like, I need to be convinced of a thing that I feel I already know the answer mm -hmm. to, right? And it's I funny, I quote the, it, right? Like yeah. I quote this movie and it's hilarious that it's like movie Avatar, uh, but it was a great quote and it was, um, it's hard to fill a cup that's already full, <laughs> right? And I was just like, Ah, oh, so when you're coming into these like discussions, it's like you got to come ready to take in, you know, an experience that is not your own. You have yeah. to leave room, you know, like for that, because if you're actually seeking knowledge, but you come already filled with the knowledge that you, you know, that you believe that it is mm -hmm. or that you have, it's not likely that you're going to you're going to get anything, yeah. <laughs> you know, out That's of it. That's so golden. No, because something that I've come to realize when it comes to um, learning and like learning acquisition, basically, is there are three different ways to communicate something. You can tell someone to do it, which, all right, like, what do you know? Like, why am I going to do that? You can show someone how to do it so you can be the example. And then people will take that a little more seriously. Oh, yeah, this is something you prioritize. But the major way for people to effectively understand something is to experience it for themselves, right? So like mm -hmm. once you experience it, 
then you know like, oh yeah, this is how it is. You can kind of, now you have your own frame of reference. And that's such a brilliant exercise because what you're doing is you're identifying where someone feels like they're a minority in any, in any realm of the word, right? So then once you recognize that, oh, wow, yes, this is who I am. I don't feel safe in these ways. I don't feel um, secure or expressed in these ways. You can then apply that toward the other people you're trying to connect more with. And you can come from a place of, I've experienced what this is like. I know where you're going. I don't understand the full version of it, but I, I got a sliver of it. And now you can kind of be more productive around it. So I, th I think that's such a clever way for people to come upon their own conclusions, you know, and that's kind of what your role is as the facilitator is to let, to yeah. let people kind of have that self-discovery journey. I want to back up a little bit because we talked about it a little bit, um, but I also want to elaborate on it because it's a really important topic, which is the idea of definitions. Um, you know, you kind of talked about, you know, racism and the, the conventional definition of that versus, you know, what it truly is and how there's kind of a difference in opinion. But something that stands out to me about that is um, this idea called principled negotiation, which is in Getting the Yes, a book by William Urey, which is establishing like a zone of agreement so that you know exactly what you're both working toward or what the matter of fact, like the kind of task at hand is so that you can then direct efforts around achieving that. Um, and of course, like definitions is a very kind of loose and fluid um, part of the kind of the racial conversation because people have different definitions. So again, kind of in establishing some of those definitions and making people, um, you know, working together and collaborating versus arguing about what the conversation topic even is. Like, how do you kind of introduce the idea of that? Like, that, I don't know, kind of like that collaborative framework for people to actually start working with. Actually, I just started. <laughs> like, I just asked the question typically. And okay. I think, you know, I, for me, I think my experience of, you know, being engaging in kind of like these discussions for as long as I have, I've kind of had to learn kind of a little bit of trial and error uh, of, of just, you know, the fact that it could be a two hour long conversation that I've just had and then find out at the end of it, people are like, Wait, well, this is, and I'm like, wait a minute, why didn't I ask that at the beginning? So I kind of like learned that, you know, sometimes you got to get on the, on, like on the same page. Cause as you mentioned, like I grew up in Ferguson, like Ferguson, Missouri. So, um, but that has definitely informed my, my experience around like the overall discussion. And during that time, it was like, I'd had friends that I'd had for like over, you know, 20 years that I ended up divorcing because it was really hard for them to grasp that, that our experiences weren't the same. Mm -hmm. And I got to a place of, you know, kind of having a little bit of a significant depression, you know, uh, the beginning of the, the, the following year, the 2015, because I got to this place of being like, I am sitting here explaining my right to exist to people <laughs> that I've known for, you know, for, for over 20 years. And it, you know, it, it weighed on me. And so I started to kind of, you know, grasp the concept of, of kind of like budgeting your energy. And so recognizing that not every conversation is, is worth the energy that you spend on it. Hmm. And when you have that recognition, uh, you actually start to prioritize making sure and qualifying the discussion, you know, like that you're getting into. Sure. Right. And that, you know, is, 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 has been a really important thing. Cause it's like, is this the conversation that, you know, that I'm meant to be, you know, like in, 
is the individual that I'm talking to wanting to just, you know, kind of argue or have like discourse? Am I emotionally available for that? Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, are they actually seeking any kind of knowledge, you know, or are they coming from a place where they want to know about my experience? Or have they started this discussion with, you know, I don't know why, or I don't know, like, like, that I had to make a decision that, that that those weren't the types of conversations that I was you know ready or willing to kind of like engage in. And I think everybody has a bit of a measure of you know like of that of where they are in the in this process and in this journey of engaging in, and being a you know, like an, an active participant in kind of like shifting this you know this situation and and, and like fully embarking on the, the journey and engaging in the narrative and, and so on and so forth, they are at different stages, you know, like kind of like of that. And I encourage people like at each stage, it's like, know what discussion you're in, mm. right? Because it can be like very exhausting. It's kind of like a uniquely taxing, <laughs> uh, you know, type of thing. Cause you're talking about concepts that a lot of times are very hard you know, they're, they're, they feel intangible and it's very hard to measure success and progress and, you know, and movement and, and development. And then everybody's already got an opinion about it. Mm -hmm. Like before you even came into the, <laughs> you know, into the discussion, everybody's already got an opinion about it. And you're a lot of times having to pull that back in order to get to a place where, you know, the, like the truth and the reality kind of come together. And and the reality also is, is that not everybody has the, the framework, the knowledge or the skill set to, you know, fully articulate the, the experience or what their thoughts are about it or how to put it into words. It is a very, you know, it can be a very uh, scary conversation because there's a lot, at least per perception wise, there's a lot to lose. Mm -hmm. Right. So people are afraid to, to dive into it because they're like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to be called this, or I'm going to be called that, or I'm going to offend, or I'm going to, you know, like do these types of like things. So, so we're reluctant right. um, to really jump into, to some of these conversations. But I think recognizing that everybody's coming into it from a different place, recognizing that, you know, uh, where you are and being self-aware of what you can bring to the conversation or what you can't bring to the conversation, that tends to really help um, you like if you're conscientious about it, sure, it tends to help. But when you start the discussion, starting it in the right place, because awareness of the situation is key. Yeah, and <laughs> it's, it's really so hard. It's so hard to ask people to do that because, like you said, everyone already has an opinion that they want to get across. You know, and that's why creating the platform for the conversation is the first step because both parties need to be able to engage in a way where they're willing to share what they think, but they're also willing to receive what they hear, you know? So there's that two way street nature to it, which, yeah. yeah, which is just important. And as you're mentioning, like, yeah, it could be very exhausting because it's by definition, violating the identities that you've taken so many years to cultivate, you know? So like, it's just by nature, mentally and emotionally draining because your brain does not want to operate in that way, you know? So there, there's yeah. gotta be some kind of understanding of that as well. You I always tell people to ask more questions. That yeah. that tends to be the thing. It's like ask more, you know, like questions. Even when somebody comes to you with something of being like, ah, oh, this or that, ask the questions. Like, what does that, you know, like what does that mean for you? You know, yeah. what can you like ask that in another way or something along those lines that helps kind of, 
get you out of the mindset of defense or mm -hmm. of having to justify anything. And it gets you into the like more of the mindset of like, well, I'm gonna acknowledge, you know, your experience and your feeling of, of what's going on. And now I'm going to kind of like try to invite us into the critical thinking and the problem solving stage. Yeah. Yeah. It, it communicates intent is what it does. If you're asking questions, then you want to hear what they have to say, you know, yep. like that's, that's a huge part of it. You, you also reference something, which is kind of a interesting paradox, which is that you want to make sure that you're direct and effective in the way that the energy is being invested in a conversation. But at the same time, there's no significant measure of progress. And I think a lot of people approach these conversations trying to rush to an outcome where it's like, we want this to be resolved and like, we're better tomorrow, kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And those two concepts kind of are different in my mind. You know, it's like, you're trying to be as energy efficient as possible while also knowing it's going to be a longer process than just this one application of it, you know? So there's yep. that kind of interesting trade-off between the two of those. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be curious to hear, I just, I guess, hear more about that kind of the latter point of, you know, how it's not going to change overnight um, and like how you can get people bought into engaging in that conversation, even though it's it's not going to be like an, an instant fix, you know, because people are very protective of their time and energy and their emotional state, you know, so like like there's there's got to be some kind of buy in um, for people to participate. And I'm curious to know, like what what you can kind of incentivize people with to, to make them want to, to participate in it. I don't know that I have an answer for that of like, as far as like the incentivizing, I, I, I know it more in a, you know, in a corporate space, because I tend to, you know, say that like, we can't stay at a level 10 forever. No mm -hmm. human can. It's like, yeah, we get these moments where everybody rallies and they're like, oh, there's, you know, there's something new, but eventually that feeling wanes and you will start to, you know, Re redirect and, and start to, you know, go back to kind of the, the status quo and then your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> uh, but so no, let, let's go there then. So let's finish with that. Because I, I think you're right, there is this kind of on and off hot and cold relationship with like, oh, yeah, this is super top of mind. It's important. And I stand for this. And I'm marching against, you know, a month later, like, oh, yeah, that's still happening. I kind of forgot about it, you know, and, and I think that's something that I struggle with. Um, and I think a lot of people do too, is like how to be an ally, you know, like what does it mean to be an ally to really be able to advocate for other people and, and what they're experiencing? And of course you can come and, and draw from your own kind of like that exercise of discovering your own minority, right? So it's like, you can draw from that and you can kind of empathize, but, but like, what is the best way for someone to be an active participant as an ally then so that it's not just transactional in the way you relate with the topic, but more proactive and sustaining. Yeah. And, and, and this is, that actually calls back to the budgeting your energy. Mm. Is because if you if you you know try to expend all of that at, at once, you you burn out faster. And like even people with like a, a more significant vested interest in it uh, will hit a point of just not being able to engage because of having you know put so much into it and not actually reserving energy for the recognition that that it's a long game. You know that things don't you know turn overnight. But when you do have those feelings of you know wanting to do something, try to establish systems and processes for yourself. Try to make little you know like goals for like actionable change that you know that you can do 
uh, like for yourself. I just heard um, Renee Myers, who is the VP of, of like inclusion strategy at Netflix. She said like her goal, you know, at Netflix is to, um, to provide everyone with like a diversity and inclusion lens so that they can look at every single one of like their, their activities and things that they're doing through the lens of, you know, who's missing who's not here, who's not represented, you know, like kind of like in this space. And so to, to compare that into kind of like your everyday life, it is, you know, look in your environments, like where you go, your friend groups, your, you know, social groups, when there's things that matter to you. If, if you can just try to train yourself to think, who's not being represented? Is somebody being misrepresented? Right. And like those like tiny, tiny things, it actually equips you much more so uh, to issue spot. I also say to continue educating yourself on like, you know, all the different things, because, again, it is about issue spotting. And when you have more context, you're going to be more aware of, of, of like of seeing it and you're not basing it off of your own personal drive. You're going to be reminded about things that need to happen on a daily basis, you know, as you kind of like engage in a variety of different spaces. So it's going to kind of keep you moving, you know, toward incremental forward, you know, like movement. And I think that, you know, every time that you do see incremental forward movement, you need to kind of take a moment and acknowledge that because that is how you, you recognize there is change. Something is different than yesterday. What I am doing is, you know, like is working. And, and then also the recognition that you don't have to convince everybody. It was actually probably the best piece of, of advice I'd ever gotten. It's like, you don't have to convince everybody. You only have to convince enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. Um, and I think when we give ourselves a little bit of, 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 you know, freedom to to recognize that not every person is my target audience um, and not every conversation is the conversation that I need to get into. But the conversations that I do want to get into are the ones that are going to be meaningful and that I feel that, you know, there was a takeaway once I've left the conversation, no matter what that takeaway is. Totally. And it all starts with it being a priority in your own mind, you know? So it's like, yeah. and I love that idea of establishing systems. Like that makes so much sense because when I talk about behavior change as it relates to personal development, like it's so much more effective when you have that system in place saying, Hey, this is what I do at this time in this way. And then you start having those incremental small behaviors that then compound into an identity shift. And that's what's required here. So like getting really intentional about stepping into a room, seeing who's there, like really prioritizing that something that I'm doing more on kind of like an ego side where I've implemented a system and it relates is when I see someone else, maybe another podcast or young professional, and I see them like killing it or like they, they have a conversation, an opportunity that like I'm envious or jealous of instead of me being like, Oh man, like how did they get that? I've tr I'm training myself. I'm into actively doing this. I'm training myself to see it as like, I'm happy for them. Like they worked really hard to get that. And then I appreciate and respect their pursuit of that instead of trying to, you know, really relate it back to myself and my own insecurities that I'm projecting onto the situation, you know? So it's like, I feel like that similar kind of knot that you feel in your stomach as it relates to diversity, equity, inclusion practices, maybe there's a way for you to take a step back instead of being like, oh yeah, this feels off. I mean, like, why does it feel off? How can I address this? How can I, how can I reframe the way I'm thinking about this? And that could be the first system that you take um, just to be more aware Absolutely. of the incidents and like the issue spotting of how this exists around you so that you can then be more proactive in knowing what the solution is. 
Jimmy. Absolutely. You are, you're incredible, man. You're extremely charismatic. You clearly know what you're talking yeah. about. And this is such an important issue for people to understand because we're all human and there are these differences for um, unfortunate reasons as it relates to, you know, the world's history that cannot change, but we can all be part of a new future. And I think this conversation and the other work you're doing is an incredible step in the right direction. So I, I so appreciate you and, and value everything you're doing and uh, can't wait to participate uh, actively myself. Well, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate the discussion because it was, it was equally wonderful for me. <laughs> that was Jimmy Vaughn. Jimmy brings a really unique perspective to the table, which is challenging, but welcoming and sensitive. We started having a conversation about what diversity and inclusion practices look like today and explored not only the biases we have, but the nature of them and how they influence us. We talked about the importance of setting definitions so that everyone is on the same page when initiating conversation, as well as only engaging in conversations that are worth your energy. And then last, we spoke about having a lens for diversity and getting into the habit of looking around to see who was represented and how they're being represented in different environments. Jimmy has a ton to offer and I'm excited for his future. If you wanna learn more about him and his mission, you can visit www.jimmyvon.com. Jimmy Vaughn is spelled J-I-M-I-V-A-U-G-H-N. And be sure to come back to this podcast. You can count on me every single day to show up with something else that helps you expand your frame of reference as it relates to your self-growth. Subscribe if you haven't already. And thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.